Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. COVID-19, the week's developments. We are going to get at that with our now good friend, uh, Dr. Isaac Bogosh. I feel like I really know you. We've been talking a lot. Great. We have. Yeah, and thank you so much for, for giving us so much of your time on the weekend, uh, Dr. Bogosh. It's greatly, greatly appreciated. Um, in, infectious Diseases Specialist, uh, Toronto General Hospital, University of Toronto. Okay, look, uh, there's a lot to talk about what, how we proceed, when we should proceed, what's the right way to proceed. We had 221 new cases in Canada yesterday. They were all in Quebec and Ontario. What are your thoughts on that? Where are we? Are we, are we ready to... To say, look, we can manage, we, we've now learned how to manage what's in front of us, so we'll do that to the best of our ability, waiting for a vaccine, And but for the rest of us, we have to get back to life. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be balancing a tightrope, right? It's great. First of all, we're in a good spot. You know, between 200 to 400 new cases per day in a country of 38 million people, like, I get it, it was tough to get here. There were some disasters among on the path, like the long-term care fiasco, a migrant worker fiasco. But we're doing really, really well, and I can't, I, we shouldn't lose sight of that. It doesn't mean we can be complacent. We're going to be walking a tightrope, uh, and that tightrope is balancing public health and public safety with safely reopening the economy. Total false, decon- false dichotomy, false discussion about we're open or we're locked down. It's, it's not nothing. Nothing should be spoken of that. That's ridiculous. It's just balancing this tightrope of how do we how do we do this in a safe manner in the pre-vaccine era? And we're doing it well, and I think we can continue to do it well. I just think one key concern amongst most people who are following this closely is the fall. And even though we're doing great in July and hopefully in August, I think September, but more October, November, December is where many of us are worried because people are going to be clustering indoors because it's cold as hell, and there's just more opportunities or disease transmission there. So while things are going well now, we cannot get complacent. Physical distancing, hand hygiene, put a mask on when you go inside, we'll be okay. Okay. Let me ask you about something I heard, and uh, I received a couple of emails about this over the last few days. Um, if you have COVID-19 and you recover, there is still, and you and I have talked about this, There sometimes there are effects that linger maybe for, for, for years. And read something about inflammation of blood vessels can lead to cardiac and kidney problems. Um, do we know what percentage of COVID-19 patients afflicted with negative health developments post-COVID infection? Now, how many there are and how long these, these, these manifestations last? Yeah, there's some emerging data uh, showing some persistent symptoms in people for prolonged periods of time. Now, we have to be very careful framing this the right way. If you're sick enough, let's just forget COVID-19, forget it. Like if you're sick, if you're over the age of 60 and you're sick and you're sick enough with whatever you have, pneumonia or, you know, kidney failure, something, you're sick enough to go into hospital and you're hospitalized for a period of time and then you're discharged from hospital. It's not like you bounce back 
to your baseline level of function right away. Most people will have residual symptoms for a prolonged period of time, often months before they gain their baseline level of function. Okay? You get deconditioned in hospital. People get knocked for a loop. The same is true. What we're finding is the same is true for COVID-19. If you're sick enough to be hospitalized with COVID-19, it's not like you're going to waltz out of hospital and get back to your baseline level of function. And, and you know, there's a lot that was made of, oh, you know, there's lasting effects of COVID-19. Yeah, there are. But let's put it in the appropriate context. You know, it, it, this is not any different from other illnesses we're seeing. What I'd be very interested to see is dedicated studies looking at people's baseline level of function and then long-term symptoms uh, after recovery from COVID-19 and comparing it to other reasons for hospitalization to okay. see if the morbidity is any different. You said something last weekend that caught a lot of people's attention. Certainly got mine. And we were talking about the, uh, um, the, the pandemic that we know of, COVID-19, the coronavirus. And then you said there, and we talked about the pig virus uh, in China. And he said, I'm paraphrasing, yeah, we know about those, but there are thousands of others lurking that we don't know about. Can you address that again, please? Because <laughs> yeah. I lost sleep. <laughs> I lost a lot of sleep. Oh, man. Like, if you go down this rabbit hole, good luck sleeping at night. <laughs> it's just, it's not a good rabbit hole to go down. But, you know, this is the reality. This is the world we live in. But the thing is, this is the world we've always lived in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there are lots of viruses out there that live in nature that we don't know about or that we barely know about that certainly have the potential to jump ship from non-human animals into humans. And, you know, COVID, like, has anyone ever heard of COVID-19 before? Did anyone ever think of SARS-CoV-2, this virus that caused this pandemic uh, since pre-December 2019? Of course not. We knew what coronaviruses were. We knew that there were, they had pandemic potential and there was a list of these longer than my arm that were in bat populations. And, you know, there's likely tons of more of these things that are around as well. Uh, same with flu viruses. There's tons of different types of flu viruses that are, you know, a few mutations away from causing a, a, a pandemic. And we saw that in uh, 2008, 2009 with H1N1, right? Like, it can yes. happen, it has happened, and it will continue to happen. And to me, this just tells me we need early detection systems in place. We need to boost the public health capacity globally, but especially in low-income countries. And we need much better global coordination because this is like, we'd be foolish to think this isn't going to happen again. So yeah. uh, that's what it tells me. Now, another one uh, that, that I'd like to run by you, and it was England's chief medical officer was talking about bacterial superbugs. I've got, I've got, the, uh, I've got the, the top three here. Um, not superbugs, just stories. <clears throat> Pardon me. England's chief medical officer talking about bacterial superbugs that are resistant to antibiotics, and she warns of a post-antibiotic apocalypse. Well, why shouldn't I just go out and buy that new Harley now? You should, for lots of reasons. Forget for antibiotics. Reasons, yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I could give you about 100 <laughs> other reasons to buy that new Harley. Yeah, yeah. The, I, I'm with you. You know, Again, we've talked. We've known each other long enough. I'm not a doom and gloom type person, but there's only a handful of things that make me nervous, at least in the realm of infectious diseases. And one of them is the role of antibiotic resistance in bacteria. 
and this is true. I know we're all focused on COVID-19, but like this truly is a global health nightmare. And it's an arms race between developing bigger and better antibiotics and faster developing mutations in bacteria. We're going to lose that arms race every time. The other thing, we, we just have to stop consuming antibiotics. We just have to stop. We have to consume them in a rational manner. When you dump them into agricultural areas, by the way, 70% of antibiotic use isn't in humans. It's in the agriculture and aquacultural field. Disaster. Absolute disaster. Uh, so when we stop using antibiotics inappropriately, we'll be taking steps in the right direction. There are small steps in the right direction. We are far from getting that issue under control. And there are, I'm not here to scare anybody, but there are, it's unknown how many deaths there are as a result of this globally. It's, it's, it's measured like it's in the probably tens to hundreds of thousands per year. Probably, it's probably measured in the tens of thousands in, 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 in high-income countries. It's probably measured in the hundreds of thousands or even more per year uh, in, in low-income settings. This yeah. is a huge issue. We can't take our eyes off that ball. No. Can I just, in the 60 seconds we have left, ask you, what's the COVID-19 takeaway for this week? Uh, it's getting worse, not better. And even though Canada is looking really good, uh, the rest of the world is not. Namely, the United States, uh, Latin America, uh, South Asia, like Pakistan, India, Nepal, Bangladesh, and sadly, even in the African continent, uh, South Africa is starting to get pummeled. Uh, it's just awful to watch. This is getting worse and worse, not better. So we've got to hold the fort here in Canada uh, to prevent this from resurging. For for this week, what do we come away with? And the, the conversation has been, and you know, with the open letters, the, the conversation has been about reopening. And we started this how we started the segment, reopening Canada while managing COVID-19. And that, again, then takes us to the issue of the question of, of, uh, of vaccine. Uh, and, and everybody wants the vaccine yesterday, and we're still looking at a considerable period of time, are we not? More yeah, than likely? We, we are, but maybe it, I don't want to give everyone a false sense of hope, but it might actually be shorter than we think. We're going to hear about this Oxford vaccine study that's coming to a close, uh, and we're probably going to have some results in either late July or early August. And, like, they are publicizing that if this is a success, they're aiming to mass produce this and starting vaccine programs as early as September. I know it sounds exciting. It sounds amazing. We got to see the data first, and we don't have the data. We have to see if this was successful. But uh, but that's I mean I think that's uh, something to look forward to. The other really interesting thing is there's this other vaccine. It's being developed, co-developed by China and Canada. It finished what's called a phase two study. That's not enough. We need the phase three study to be completed. But they finished a phase two study. They're starting phase three studies. But what they did in China uh, is that they said, we're going to approve this vaccine in a very limited number of people. They're approving it in the military. So they're giving this vaccine to um, the military, and that's it. No one else in China. I, quite frankly, am not sure how I feel about that, because you want to see some bigger safety issues with the vaccine, especially during a phase three study. But, uh, but it already is being implemented in China on a, on a limited extent. So I hope they're studying this because there's a lot that we, we can probably learn from that. Okay, so now we've also been hearing that younger people are coming down with COVID-19. Is something developing on that front that wasn't there a month, two, three months ago? Yes, and that thing is complacency. That's, that's what it is. It's just 
when people, it doesn't matter how old you are. You can be one year old, you could be 121 years old. Everyone can get this infection. And we're hearing a lot about people in their young 20s getting this. And then you sort of scratch the surface and you look at why. Now, some people are getting it because they're going to work and they might be picking it up at work. But when you scratch the surface, we have sort of an emerging narrative and some emerging data demonstrating that people might be getting this because they're going out to bars that are open. They're going out, and maybe this is, this is Canada, the United States, and elsewhere in the world. They might be going to bars. They might be going to house parties. They're just having more close social interactions with each other. It doesn't matter how old you are. If you're interacting with a lot of other people, you're not practicing physical distancing, you're not wearing a mask inside, you can get this infection. You certainly can. In fact, there's a, they're, they're in Montreal right now, they're not naming the bars, but there are, I think it's five, there might be a few more. Yeah. Uh, so that's as a result of bars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they're doing the contact tracing to say, look, if you've been to a bar in Montreal, you go get yourself tested because we're going to see, we're probably seeing a small outbreak emerge there. So what do we do then? Um, you know, we have the bubbles that we're supposed to assign, uh, you know, Ontario, 10 people, um, friends, family, we have this group, but it's hard to do. And uh, how, how do we handle social interaction, uh, particularly in the summertime. I know the answer is to be smart and listen to what you're telling us. But what is it that's going to cause people to to really understand how how how, how dangerous this situation is? Yeah, I, I think we're, sadly we're going to learn the hard way. Uh, I really hope we don't learn the hard way a lot, but I think we are going to learn the hard way a few times. And like humans, I mean, it sounds so obvious, but like, Humans are humans. We behave in predictable manners. Right. And, uh, and we are going to see outbreaks of this. And I guess the key thing here is, do we have the capabilities now in Canada to rapidly identify cases as they emerge? Can we rapidly recognize outbreaks early, early, early on before they snowball into something much bigger? So far, we've done a good job. You know, we've got the Kingston Nail Salon. We've got the meatpacking plant in Alberta. We've got the frozen fruit factory in BC. Like, I can, there's the bars in Montreal. Like, we can go on and on. There's a lot of examples of catching these early. But, you know, we have to continue to be able to catch these outbreaks early. And we just have to get unlucky once uh, and miss something for a, a longer period of time before we end, up, we end up with a much bigger outbreak on our hands. And I think it's going to be very tricky to keep this suppressed at the low levels. And as we sort of were touching on a couple of minutes ago um, about, you know, the fall where everyone's clustered inside, right. there's just more opportunities for this virus right. to transmit. You know, we got, we got to be very careful about that. So, so far, so good, but uh, we're in it for a long haul until we get this vaccine. Okay, and, and again, thank you, Dr. Bogosh. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.